The Voice. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Yes, let's see. I think I'll turn over to the loudspeaker. River Radio. This is only a test. This radio station will remain on the air, day and night. Across the Thames Valley. Turn on the radio and let's have some music. Turn it on the way up. River. Turn it on the way up. Radio. Spread the word. Hello, this is Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and you are currently listening to The Reset on River Radio. This show is all about nutrition and shaking off those common myths and misconceptions around food. On today's show, I am delighted to be joined by registered dietitian Lucy Upton. Lucy is a children's dietitian and feeding specialist. And so in today's show, we are going to be talking all about breastfeeding and weaning, children's nutrition and how it varies from adults, fussy eating, food refusal and advice on how we can support children in building long term positive relationship with food. So we've got lots to cover today. So do stay tuned for all of that. And I'm sure much more in between. If you have any questions for us today, you can message us in on our Instagram at River Radio Live or email me directly at Amelia at River.radio. So Lucy, I'm so delighted to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy doing these things where we get to chat and hopefully bust some myths and provide some support for parents and and I know food and feeding kids is often an area with so much information isn't it I'm sure you have this a lot all that noise to cut through and try and work out what you should or shouldn't be doing absolutely and I can already hear how passionate you are about the topics I think let's dive right into it so we're starting off today's show how we start for all of them and it's we give our listeners some fact or misstatements you know some might be true some might be false and they're just some things uh, that we're going to be chatting around today we're going to be really covering um, so it gives you a bit of an insight into what we're going to be chatting about and then we'll come back to them at the end and I'll ask them to you Lucy as questions and you're gonna you can hopefully give us a little bit more of an explanation if that sounds okay yeah I'm gonna zip up now so that you can be now straight away fabulous so the first one is that you should introduce one new food every three days during weaning the second one we have for you is food allergens like peanuts should be introduced during weaning the third one we have is when it comes to their nutrition children are just like little adults the fourth one is it is okay if a child sometimes refuses foods at mealtime it does not make you a failure and the fifth and final one we have for you guys today is that food is so much more than just nutrition so what are you, what are you thinking based on them Lucy don't give us too much about them but how are you feeling I I think I think it will generate already I wonder it depends where people are listening this is these are the sorts of statements that suddenly either make parents question what they're doing or generate discussion don't they and go do you Mm. I don't know what did you do and and you know parents there's all of this information out there to pull apart but yeah I'm going to keep stung but we'll (laughs) we'll probably cover lots of them but I know so many of the things that you have said are things parents ask about all the time or the things I see on forums with parents getting confused or conflicting Mm -hmm. advice. So 
hopefully ideally people will be walking away with a little bit more confidence when feeding kids because it's hard work Absolutely. And I think that's such a great, great way to chat about it. And also, I think you highlighted there, you know, having discussions about these things, talking about them openly, like, we don't have to suffer in silence anymore. We can really talk about these and express our worries. And hopefully, as you say, this show will answer some of those questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. If everyone goes away with one little tidbit and they feel a little bit better or a little bit less guilty about something, that would be wonderful. Oh, I love that. Well, before we really dive into and start answering some of those questions, I wanted to really introduce you, Lucy, and maybe if you could give us a little bit of insight into your background and your journey in children's nutrition. So, of course, um, it's always slightly horrifying when I start talking about this and I, I have get like the hands I have to get like two lots of hands out like twice to work out how long I've been doing my job for so um so my name is Lucy I am a pediatric dietitian so that essentially means that I work with children so as soon as they arrive to the world so any anything from kind of naught days old really until sort of they're those big grumpy teenagers at like 16 Mm -hmm. to 18 so um pediatric nutrition is really really fascinating area for me because you actually do have to have a really broad understanding of lots and lots of different mm. age groups because babies do not need the same as toddlers who do not need the same as the children in the school years and then those teenage years when you know growth and nutrition changes again. So, And, and certainly from a professional point of view, I feel like that has always kept me on my toes because yeah. you know I'm, I'm, I'm talking with adults, sometimes I'm talking with parents and their kids, sometimes it's just the kids themselves. Um so, you know, I love it. I'm really, really fortunate. And I think the joy of being able to do my job, you know, I've, I've done my job in lots of different kind of guises. I've worked in GP surgeries, special schools, specialist feeding disorder units, um, big children's hospitals, is that I've got this lovely breadth of experience in lots of different places and get to do, I'm very fortunate, I have my lo- hands in lots of pies. So I get to do some work in kind of early years arena, public health. Um, I'm a media spokesperson. So I, I talk a lot and kind of dispel a lot of the myths or the information coming out in the media about kids' nutrition. Um, and, and for me, it's all about, and and for parents getting to grips with feeding their kids and nutrition is, is not these big wild trying to polarise. You know, mm. nutrition can always be very polarising. You know, you're either in camp, doing baby led weaning or purees and, and one is yeah. better than the other, which you know simply just isn't the case it's it's all about being able to empower parents with education mm-hmm. so my job is to educate and to help parents understand what's going on for their child and what's mm-hmm. going to be best for their scenario their family setup their cultural needs anything like that so mm-hmm. i love it and it combines my two big loves so food um, and science so oh I'm that's sure amazing <laughs> well it's very clear how much of like a breadth of knowledge and how amazing that we've got such an expert on to chat about this um today and I really loved a couple of the topics that you were really highlighting there I guess and it's a good way to start the show that it's a very non-judgmental show um that we're aiming to educate as you're saying there's no one right way it's going to be different for every family and maybe even every day for every child it'll be different um so having that flexibility and things like that and absolutely it's a very non-judgmental show today as always As always, I think that's probably because the, I always feel like, I mean, I'm going to be a parent very early next yeah. year, so I'm pregnant at the I moment. Um, and I already feel the, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to be judged if I have wow. a coffee? Am I, do you know what I mean? So mm. I, I think 
I'm not even there yet. And and from the parents that I see, there is this streak of worry about doing the right thing probably all of the time. And when it comes to feeding, you know, I'm a feeding therapist as well. So I spend a lot of time with children who really struggle to eat. You know, feeding isn't something you get a day off from when you have kids, Mm -hmm. really. You know, even when they're at school or nursery, you know, you've got to plan meals, you've got to think about what they're eating, how much they're eating, etc. kind of all of the time, mm-hmm. which can be really quite burdensome because I don't know about you, but I find it hard enough to feed myself. Uh-huh. No, completely. And as, as you say, like you've got that responsibility to meet that child's nutritional needs, but also, I guess, at the same time, uh, their their enjoyment of food, yes. their relationship with food, you know, mm-hmm. them being in the kitchen and you're teaching them cooking skills and baking skills. And there's so yeah. many other factors than just yeah. the nutrition there that you're thinking absolutely. about. Absolutely, absolutely. Meal, you want meal times to be a place the kids want to come to. Absolutely. Well, right. it's been so lovely to get an introduction into you, uh, have a little background about your expertise and really love, um, I love that you said it combines your two favourite things, which are food and science. Um, so we are actually, I think, going to play a song now and then we're going to come back and we're going to be chatting a little bit more about children's requirements and if they are the same or if they differ from being adults and, and all about that. And we're going to really dive into a few more of those things. So first, I'm going to play a song for us. So we're going to play Someone to You by Banners. I hope you enjoy. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this.
this is Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and you are currently listening to The Reset on River Radio. You can find us across social media platforms at River Radio Live or on the website at river.radio. Today I am joined by Lucy Upton, a specialist children's dietitian. Um, so far we've spoken a little bit about Lucy's expertise in this area and really introduced what we're going to be chatting about today including uh, different areas of children's nutrition from breastfeeding and weaning um, but also explain how this is a very non-judgmental show and it's we're just here today to hopefully aim to give a bit of education um, and really understanding that every children child and every family is different so if you have missed today's show or would like to listen again do not worry as this episode is released as the podcast shortly after the live show and can be found on all your main podcast platforms including Apple and Spotify. So Lucy I think we've got quite a big question that we're just going to dive into and ask you straight out I hope that's okay. Yeah absolutely absolutely I'm thinking I suspect I might know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what is the difference between children's nutrition and are they just little adults? So I think this is something that comes up a lot and I suppose there's kind of two sides when we're thinking about kids nutrition the Mm -hmm. first is that yes absolutely we want to help children establish and develop healthy eating habits for life that get them towards perhaps what we eat as adults assuming we sort of generally eating well The key thing really along the way is that we can't just apply what we know about adult nutrition and what is a balanced diet for an adult to children Mm. because their requirements are vastly different. So as as sad as many of us adults will be about this, we are very much done growing. Mm. We are not going to get any taller. Uh, You know, our our organs are where they need to be. They, you know, our brain is. We are done with the big growing thing. We can certainly have weight changes, but generally in terms of our development and our growth we're done whereas Mm -hmm. of course children for this huge period of time are growing and developing and that requires key things like sufficient energy and sufficient protein in their diet Mm -hmm. but also very very needs in terms of uh nutrition along the way so nutrients so you know babies for example those tiny little stomachs they need to be little often regularly you know anyone who's fed a baby will know that you're up every few hours feeding and essentially they need huge you know to grow mm-hmm. compared to what we need as adults so we can't apply what we know about adult nutrition to kids nutrition and actually there are differences with kids nutrition depending on essentially their age and stage yeah you know, you have these huge transitions. You have a baby who is breast or bottle fed and predominantly given therefore milk, then transitions onto solids and reduces the intake of milk. He then goes into the toddler years mm-hmm. where you're growing very fast. Mm-hmm. So you've got growing children, but with these tiny little stomachs. So we really need to make sure that they essentially get lots of bang for their buck. Yeah. Um, and then you go into the school years and you think about actually what does my child need so that they are well nourished for school and to maintain their concentration and to also continue to grow and yeah. nutrient requirements they kind of change for kids between one and one they need x amount of calcium between one and four they need x amount of calcium it changes again and then it changes again between four and seven so it's a template of copy and paste 
and just give them what we have and it will all be fine. Mm. As I say, to that is you can absolutely adapt what you feed as a family to things that yeah, absolutely. So I think I lost you a little bit towards the end there. But I think what I'm uh, getting from what you're saying is how we can adapt an adult meal for a baby or an inf- well, uh, someone who's eating solid foods, um, yeah. who's a child. However, we've got to also recognise that, you know, they ha- they have additional needs because they are growing and developing but also that they've got tiny tummies uh little stomachs so we've got to make the most of what we're getting in there yeah absolutely and even with feeding frequency you know you will have a baby who might need to feed every few hours a toddler who probably can't go more than two or three hours without something to eat but then me or you Uh if wanted to could actually go quite a long time if we needed to not necessarily that we wanted to but if we needed to we could go much longer stretches without needing food so and is that to do with what we've got stored so like as we've grown up you know we've got bigger bodies and you know over the years we've stored more of that energy and so we're able to start like breaking down and using that if we have to so absolutely there's definitely an element of that I actually always bring that up when we talk about how babies or children's growth changes or their weight changes during illness mm. we away with a few days of illness perhaps when we're not eating so well with you know marginal or minimal weight changes whereas actually children who go through periods drop their weight mm-hmm. they can hugely alarming for parents because they don't have a lovely big liver with lots of carbohydrates stored and they're not fully growing all those muscle stores of carbohydrates too so generally they don't have as much reserve to pull on yeah so their weight changes can be a little bit more drastic and also coupled with the fact that their energy requirement per kind of kilogram of body weight every day is considerably higher than ours we don't need as much as they do and again that's I always remember sitting at university and going through everything. And when you think about why do they need that amount of energy? We just think about growth. If you think about how quickly a baby grows, what triples their triples their length in the first year or something. Mm. Growth. That's tissue growth. That that's great. Basically, creating new cells all of the time. No wonder they need so much in the way of energy. So, yeah, just really important to remember that whilst they can definitely get stuck in with what you guys are cooking as families at home, it is also really important to like understand their requirements for energy, protein, and definitely like nutrients. So things like iron and calcium um, are different, and they might be higher, um, and they might be higher at certain times, like the teenage years. Mm. So we need to give careful consideration to what they're eating. And also what we establish with kids and their eating early on often really foundations for their eating and drinking for life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's really interesting. I think you've just put that in like a very imaginable way, especially with imagining, OK, so they're actually even though they're smaller per uh, kilogram of body weight, they actually require more than us. And like, it is quite hard to imagine that. But when you're thinking about all these additional processes of growth and development, you know, they're forming the immune system. They've got a lot going on. Of course, it's higher. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when you actually, not the parents will need to do this, but, you know, whenever we we work very clinically in hospitals and we're we're working out energy requirements for children because we need to support their feeding, you know, a baby might need 100 calories per kilogram of weight. You know, we might need 30 
I didn't know it was that high. It's a lot. It's a lot of calories. And so, of course, what we feed them is towards that. You know, breast milk is beautifully geared towards providing that in terms of its calorie content and its energy content alongside the nutrients and all the other bioavailable kind of compounds and things like that that exist within breast milk so um but that's also why you're sitting feeding your child every one to two hours overnight and in the 3am club you know because they can't have these long stretches they're constantly needing topping up absolutely and I think you just started to answer the question that I was gonna ask next and kind of done it with babies but as we're getting a bit older you know you've got uh, toddlers and uh, going to school age how do we help them to make sure that they're getting enough energy and enough protein so I think it's routine and then it's also thinking about how you balance their meals um and I'm a big advocate of not overcomplicating nutrition because Mm -hmm. I think all that appears online now whether that be social media or blogs or whatever the more that parents might be swayed towards thinking that balanced meals and getting kids to have enough is having a bento box lunch box that's full of like eight different foods and honestly I mean I don't know about you but I went to school with a cheese sandwich a banana and like some mini cheddars yeah. or something like and then we we were just fine so I feel like there's been a level of pressure added around what balance can look like mm-hmm twofold you need to make sure that they've got the opportunity to eat regularly that doesn't mean they're going to eat the same amount every time like we do as adults we generally serve ourselves a portion we're going to eat Mm -hmm. but you make sure that they're having three good meals and anywhere between one to sort of three snacks a day depending on a child's personality some prefer to snack some do better at meal times so you want regular meals and snacks and then you want to think about balancing their meals with a few things so you need a a good energy rich food so that tends to be your sort of carbohydrate foods your whole grains your bread rice pasta potatoes etc you're going to want some protein rich food in there so that might be you know your meat fish eggs beans but also of course things like dairy contributing protein intake in children mm-hmm. quite considerable lots of children and then you want some fruit or vegetables of some kind. You know, bearing in mind that portions of fruit or vegetables are definitely smaller for children, certainly toddlers. Mm-hmm. You know, a half a big banana is a portion. They don't need to, a, a portion for a toddler wouldn't be like a big fault. Some of them are giant, aren't they? You buy in the supermarkets now. It's not an adult sized portion mm-hmm. is what I'm um, so if someone, you know, obviously we're we're on an hour-long radio show here, we can't be giving out lots of uh, specific advice, but if someone were to think, oh, what portion sizes should I be aiming for for my child of this age? Is there yeah. any resources where they could go to and have a look? There are some really fantastic resources. So there are some portion size guidance from the Infant and Toddler Forum that you will also find on, and now I'm going to forget the name of it. That's There's okay. We can link it into the re- uh, description below on as this a podcast. Yeah, perfect. But there's pictures online. And the other thing I would say is to be led by your child. So a uh, mm-hmm. fun fact, fun statistic is that about 70% of parents overestimate how much children need to eat portion size wise. Wow. And so would always say is start smaller they can always have more so maybe a tablespoon of each food group per year of age mm-hmm. as a rough guide mm-hmm. you know so you might have if you've got a two-year-old you might have two tablespoons of pasta two of peas and, and one or two of a kind of protein rich food or tuna or, or chickpeas mm. or whatever it be and start there because you can always offer more but actually for lots of children having too much on their plate actually is a source of overwhelm mm-hmm. and inherently on the long term cause them to actually eat less so keep the pressure 
That's really interesting. Great, like rough guidance. Um, just before we get into our second song of the show, I just wanted to ask you, you meant, so obviously there's some specific nutrients that we need to be thinking um, more of. Overall, we're aiming for a balanced diet that provides all of them. But you did specifically mention two earlier, which were calcium and iron. I don't suppose yeah. you could give us a bit more insight into them. I could. So we always talk about iron when it comes to kids' nutrition and especially toddlers, because it's probably one of the most prolific nutritional deficiencies in childhood. Wow. And and children are usually quite good at showing us that they're not getting enough iron, you know, when it particularly when it gets very low. So children can present being very pale or with pallor. They might be a little bit more out of breath. They might be very sleepy, not the active child that they always used to be. Um, and if you've got basically if you've got any worries, it's always worth going to the GP to have a discussion about this. Um, but iron requirements essentially are quite high, particularly mm-hmm. through the years. But notoriously, that's the time when children are a little bit more restrictive, perhaps about what they want to eat or fussy. So the foods like your meat, your oily fish, your eggs can be some of the first ones to have, you know, ooh, a yucky or stick mm-hmm. in their nose give me all the crackers I'm happy to have 15 crackers and a yogurt so it often it's kind of a, a balance between our children getting enough of it in requirements are quite high and and just basically not being able to bridge that gap so we talk a lot about sort of getting enough of those iron rich foods in in lots of different ways so there are things that I've talked about already like your meat your oily fish um beans, pulses, lentils, those sorts of things. But then there's other also great sources of iron for children like fortified cereals, which are so often demonized, but are actually for so many children, such an important source of Mm -hmm. iron. You know, and any of your cereals, to be completely honest, when you hit down the baby, the the kid cereal aisle. I think it's, it was really interesting with that fortification as well because uh, things that are fortified are different from supplements. Like some yeah. some children do need supplements, and I'm sure we'll we'll uh, chat about that in li- later on. But also with the fortification, you're adding that nutrient to a food, and so you're also getting all the additional benefits of that as a whole food too. Yeah, and like you you've probably said this tons of times on your show, nutrients like to be friends with other nutrients. So they really they are mu- often much better absorbed when their friends are there. So if you're having some vitamin C with I don't know the orange juice that a child is having or the portion of fruit or something at their breakfast, that's going to really enhance the absorption of iron in their cereal. So this is why like when everyone says like talking about nutrients as a standalone thing, I'm always like. Ooh ways there's a more sort of complex balance of everything else going on because equally a child consuming too much cow's milk in their toddler years basically makes it very much more difficult for the body to absorb iron because it compete it's competing mm-hmm. with the calcium that's in cow's milk which is a little bit easier to absorb so you know there's lots of things we think about but the key thing as you say is variety mm-hmm. and getting a good balance of different things in kids diets um only supplementing if you need to and thinking sort of quite laterally about what foods actually contain these nutrients that they need oh that's great advice thank you so much for like summarizing that very nicely for us um so so far on today's show we've had a little chat about lucy and her expertise in children's nutrition um and her background and her experience we've answered one of the big questions is what's the difference between children's and adults nutrition and lucy's given us a great summary about that so if you did miss it or would like to listen to it again don't worry as this radio show will be released shortly after the live show 
as a podcast and can be found on all your main podcasting platforms. We're going to be coming back very soon to be answering a few, I guess I would call them myth-busting questions within the area of children's nutrition. But first of all, we're going to play a song for you and we're going to play Sunday Best by Surfaces. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Feeling good, like I should Went in circle, walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed, never stressed Got the sunshine on my Sunday best yeah. Every day can be a better day despite the challenge All you gotta do is leave it better than you found it it's gonna get difficult to stand but hold your balance I just say whatever cause there is no way you're rounded Everyone falls down sometimes But you just gotta know it'll all be fine It's okay uh-huh. It's okay It's okay hey, Feeling good Like I should Walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed Never stressed Got the sunshine on my Sunday best hey, Some days you wake up and nothing works You feel surrounded Gotta give your feet some gravity to get you grounded Keep good things inside your ears just like the waves and sound it And just say whatever cause there is no way you're grounded Everyone falls down sometimes But you just gotta know it'll all be fine It's okay uh-huh. It's okay It's okay hey, Feeling good Like I should When in circle walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed Never stressed Sunshine on my Sunday best Hey, feeling good Like I should Been in Doku Walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed Never stressed Got the sunshine on my Sunday best Hello, this is Amelia Fish. I am a registered associate nutritionist and you are currently listening to The Reset on River Radio. Today I am joined by Lucy Upton, who is a specialist in children's dietetics. Um, And I'm so excited um, about the show that we've been chatting about, um, all about children's nutrition, um, their requirements, how they differ from adults. And this part of the show is kind of what we've been leading up to. We're going to be chatting about a few of the different stages of children's nutrition from breastfeeding and weaning going to be chatting about allergy risk because I know I'm asked this quite a lot and I'm within nutrition and definitely not children I'm not not um, in that area at all so I'm really excited to ask Lucy about that and then coming up later we'll be chatting also about things like food refusal and how we can help our children form a positive relationship with food so I kind of want to almost encompass a couple of questions here Lucy into one because I know that they might all overlap 
So oh. maybe if we could chat about um, if you are able to do so, the importance of breastfeeding, um, yeah. kind of factors to consider with bottle feeding. Um, and I know this added another one, but also uh, factors to consider with supplementation, especially in those early years. Sure. OK, let's start with breastfeeding. So breastfeeding is the first thing I'm going to say anyone who I mean there'll be lots of parents I'm sure who's listening who have breastfed their babies and then lots of people who've had a variety of experiences or journeys Mm -hmm. exactly it's really not as easy as often it is made out to be and whilst it is something that as health professionals we will always encourage and I personally think there needs to be a hell of a lot of more support out Mm. there or mums when there is especially in that stage of establishing breastfeeding which really can take weeks for baby and mum to grasp and 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 get to get to grips yeah. with it thank Basically. you for saying yes. that lucy it's definitely not said enough sorry i didn't want to interrupt you but thank I, you no, absolutely not and, and i think you know I, we see this front line all of the time and there just isn't enough support there it is mm-hmm. challenging but we do know that the benefits are there and, and then and really they are quite huge when you look at the evidence base and, and mm. breastfeeding just to say in the scientific community all the papers that we have has you know one hell of an evidence base yeah. in terms of benefits for infant health so i mean i could list the range of diseases there that helps prevent in children or support you know diarrhea infective illness diabetes asthma heart disease obesity even SIDS risk you know has been linked with reduced risk being associated with but then there's also this lovely symbiotic benefit for mum too yeah which is great because it's really easy to be like am I doing the best thing for my baby there's also the element of actually for mums, you know, it helps protect against breast and ovarian cancers. There's also reduced risk of heart disease. You know, it's absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. when you do it. And, and breast milk is, you know, very unique in that it is going to change and it is and it fluctuates based on the needs of your baby. Yeah. Really fascinating when you look into this. And also I kind of feel like it's, it's amazing that it fluctuates and it changes composition. Absolutely, like like the levels of certain antibodies and things that go up when a baby's unwell. Like it's it's honestly fascinating. You could find yourself down stuck in papers about this stuff for ages. Um, it's also big on relationship building. Actually, it's really quite supportive of sort of maternal bond, um, baby's bond, responsive feeding, all mm-hmm. of those sorts of mental health of mum. But I don't want to undermine that by saying it's something that's easy. And often the phrase used is, "Oh, it's just natural." Therefore, if it's natural, it's easy. Mm. And I tell you it is not easy for all babies to establish breastfeeding and it is not easy for all mums um and if you are pregnant or having children or about to start a breastfeeding journey or thinking about it all I would do is encourage you to get support because that for most parents and and, you know and even people who know you know I remember my sister saying to me the support she needed she's a pediatric nurse she knows all about breastfeeding but when it comes to actually getting a baby on your boob and getting a really getting them feeding and feeling comfortable it really does take some time to establish so but yeah it's it's fascinating when you look into it because it's more than just nutrition there's there's lots of bioactive compounds in there there's immunoglobulins there's nucleotides and all these big Mm. posh words that we use which basically are all there to support a baby's development their gut microbiome their immune system it's it's you know it's quite incredible really but that isn't to undermine the fact that you know it's something that's easy for everybody and Um, there's certainly support needed absolutely and it's 
I'm from the studying that I've done on children's nutrition um, I'm definitely aware that there's not enough support out there but if someone's listening to this and thinking you know I would like some support I'd like some help a bit of education where yeah. where could they look so it depends on the kind of information they want. So if they want to do some reading, there's some fantastic stuff online. You know, there'll, there'll be stuff from UNICEF. There'll be stuff from the NHS. There's also some really, really, really fantastic online resources now. So even social media resources, there is a plethora of lactation consultants who are health professionals and who do this every day. They might be midwives or speech and language therapists as well, who give really good evidence-based and very practical support Um and to help with things like establishing a latch or fast letdown or positions for breastfeeding or should my nipples be hurting and all these other sort of real punchy topics that, you know, you don't have time to sit and read in a book when you're in the throes of it. You need kind of like the answers as you mm-hmm. go along. Some really, really fantastic resources. And there are a lot of infant feeding teams attached to neonatal units, midwifery units, health visiting teams as well, although categorically i know that a lot of those are very stretched mm-hmm. okay well thank yeah you've given lo- loads of different places that people could go to which is great thank you very much um and i think also highlighting how difficult it is um like it's a very special journey if it's something for you but it's also hard um and definitely having the support of anyone around you is great but it's not possible for everyone um, and bottle feeding might be the way that that family chooses to go. What factors should people be considering if that's their their journey? So I suppose, that, again, there's a twofold sort of element to that. There might be the people who are bottle feeding, but they're expressing. Mm-hmm. So there are, we are seeing now this big exclusive breastfeeding pumping community too. With So there's that element. So that's important that mums are still looking after themselves in terms of the frequency of pumping um, and milk, maintaining their milk supply. So pumping enough, creating enough demand um, to feed baby. But then, of course, there's babies who are bottle fed and they're fed formula. So we focus on sort of formula. And when you're picking formula, lots of people will say to me, Lucy, which is the best formula to pick? <laughs> and the answer is there isn't one because... One of the most important things to remember about infant formula is that it is very, very, very heavily regulated, which means to make sure that we are giving babies the best possible start as possible. I think I've said as possible, best possible start. Um, You know, by law, it has to have certain limits of, you know, energy, protein, but also vitamins and minerals. So they will all be much of a muchness when it comes to that. Now, there will be lots of them that will say, pick us because we've got probiotics in us or pick us because we've got extra. There isn't enough evidence about the benefits of those in in formula milk, you know. So I think I think I would feel, and I would be really interested to hear what parents listening would think, is that you have to go out and buy the most expensive one because surely that's the best. Mm. Nutrition-wise, they are still absolutely fine if you wanted to go I don't know into Aldi and buy their formula milk Mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting like point of view and I think we can definitely sometimes be susceptible to it as adults too but also to know I guess an equivalent would be if you're buying blueberries from one high-end supermarket versus a lower like a different supermarket at the end of the day they're still blueberries yeah absolutely they're blueberries and and by law, it's so heavily regulated. Yeah. You know, I, I get lots of questions. I had one yesterday from a mum who actually, from a, for a baby who had to go into a specialist formula by their GP, they had allergies. Mm. 
said online, I don't want to give them this one because they're not nutritionally complete. That, that's not the case. You know, if, if we're using a formula milk in this country, by law, it has to go through scrupulous measures to get there to be safe enough and nutritionally complete enough for the needs of infants. So, um, yeah. But when it comes to actually feeding that formula, there are a few things that I would recommend. So the first is that compared to breastfeeding, it is much easier to monitor the amounts your baby is drinking when they're Mm. bottle fed. And for some parents, this is a good thing. But for others, it can be a real source of anxiety or, you know, they took five ounces last feed and they've only taken four. And the tin says that for their age, they should be taking six. And, And it can mean that parents find it easier to move away from responsive feeding and that if I had one bit of advice about feeding a baby regardless of the way that you're doing it it would be responsive feeding it's a big term that's getting a lot Mm. more and what it essentially means is your baby is going to be very good at telling you when they're hungry and telling you when they're full and so ignore the clock ignore the tin ignore what Sandra on Facebook says focus on your baby and follow their cues because actually when we look at volumes you know the volume over 24 48 hours is more important than just that one feed and as long as baby regulates their intake over that period of time and gets enough in over that period of time then they will meet their requirements to grow mm-hmm. but any concerns about growth you'd be needing to get some support yeah. from a health professional because that might suggest that we need to be looking at what's going on from a feeding perspective but follow your baby's cues they will know and tell you when they're done. I see lots of mm-hmm. things like twisting bottles to get them to finish because, but the tin says they should have six and they've only had four. And I think th- the way I often frame this with parents is that as human beings, we are all different sizes and we all grow healthily at different sizes. Mm-hmm. Me and you probably are not the same height and weight and that is fine. We have babies who grow beautifully and healthily along a second centile and we have babies that grow beautifully and healthily along anywhere up to the 98th, 99.6 centile. Chronologically, they might be the same age. They might be two months old. But that baby sitting on a higher centile naturally, because that's their genetics, that's how they're going to grow, is going to need more milk than the one on the second mm-hmm. centile. And that is okay. And because they're what they need. That's what you mean by saying a uh, baby, like when, when your baby wants more, yeah. give them more. But if they start to push the bottle or push the grass, no. And- they know yeah they know they slow down their pace of feeding or they get upset and actually i see lots of things like you know potentially reflux or 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 exacerbating spit up or vomiting sometimes can just be because they've had too much milk it's a lot less common in breastfed babies because you don't know how much they're having and they naturally generally just stop whereas you can see what's left in a bottle Mm. with a with a bottle fed baby and that can sometimes be a real source of anxiety yeah so Baby, not the clock, not the tin. And if you're not sure what feeding cues look like for a baby, because they're not tapping on you like all of the two and three year olds have been doing over the holidays, going snack, snack, <laughs> are they? They might, you know, they they might be, you know, rooting. They might be splaying their hands. They might be turning their head. You know, crying is actually the last cue that a baby is hungry. Mm. A few more steps along the way. So responsive feeding is massive, and that would be something I would really look at if you were bottle feeding um, and again there's some really helpful information on the unicef website about bottle feeding and also oh. about bottle feeding that's really great advice like thank you for giving us that resource and also i think it's just important to point out as we've said at the start of this row and all the way throughout it's a very non-judgmental show we're just here to put those points out there and hopefully you know if you're worried 
hopefully this provides you with a bit of an explanation and a bit of an answer. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that within that uh, bottle, uh, the, you know, formula milk, there's lots of vitamins and minerals. Yes. What does that mean for the difference, you know, uh, when is it appropriate for a baby to have supplements? So, again, differences with breast and bottle fed babies, yeah. formula fed babies to be specific. So um, breastfed babies should, as soon as they are born and once they get established with feeding, be having some vitamin D every mm. single day. And you can get infant drops or even sprays that provide the recommended 10 micrograms of vitamin D every day. Great. And the other point alongside that is that mum should be having it too. Mm. So I get you say well i'm supplementing does baby need it too yes yes they do you know that 10 micrograms that mum is taking is for she needs that too so yeah. we're giving it for baby and one for mum um and mums who breastfeeding might also want some additional supplementation if they need it because your requirements for uh vit- a lot of vitamins and minerals like calcium yeah. you know iodine b12 vitamin a all go through the roof when you're breastfeeding such a great point to have raised i didn't even think about asking that question but what should yeah because obviously like you've just grown a baby and now you're providing milk yes (laughs) you're gonna need some additional things nutrients for sure i mean just for context you know calcium requirements go up by nearly 500 milligrams a day so breastfeeding mums need about 1250 milligrams of calcium a day and to put that into something tangible for people listening that is equivalent to the amount of calcium you'd get from a litre of milk. Wow. Which, unless you're having many lattes, <laughs> might be struggling to get. And I think I, I always talk frankly about that breastfeeding stage and mums supplementing if they need to, because I could not tell you how many mums have come to me and said they lived off biscuits and toast mm. for X weeks when their baby's first born. And yep. depending on the support they've got around them, their capacity for very balanced and varied meals and regular meals might be different before having babies. So important. do not neglect yourselves because your body will do a very good job of getting what it needs for breast milk from mm-hmm. your body, but it could be definitely at the compromise of things like your own bone health as you move yeah. forward. Oh, so. so important to erase that. And then regarding that vitamin D, is yes. that in, so would a, a formula fed baby require those drops? So no. So because it's nutritionally complete, formula milk has everything a baby needs, including the vitamin D. So most formula fed babies don't need to start thinking about any supplementation until they're having less than 500 mils of formula a day. And at that point, we would recommend a vitamin A, C and D drop combined. And the reason that the NHS recommends the extra A and C is just because historically these were also some nutrients that we were found children might be more likely not to get enough of mm-hmm. even though they can get vitamin A and C from food too and so what, how that again translates to breastfed babies is that they also need a vitamin A, C and D but that would come in around weaning age at six months of age cool. so vitamin D for mum and baby when breastfeeding changing to vitamin A, C and D when they get to weaning formula fed babies only need an A, C and D when they're having less than 500 mils of formula a day. Great. That's really good advice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And of course, if you need more specific advice, do like check out the NHS website, talk to your GP. They'll be able to give you some more specific advice to your situation. Now, I can't believe that we're coming towards the end of the show, but I have two more topics that I want to just quickly ask you about before we get to you know summarizing's bit of advice and the first one is allergen risk you know peanuts are the ones that are always chatted about 
can yeah. we influence the child's allergy risk? Yeah, and again, I could talk about this for ages, and I'm <laughs> conscious. I'll do a little bit on the fussy eating. So I'm going to give you a really punchy answer here. And the the punchy answer is what we know about allergen risk now shows us that we shouldn't be delaying allergen introduction to children. So old hat advice would be don't give kids peanuts till they're three or hold off introducing, I don't know, fish because dad's allergic to fish or something like that. That's not the advice we have anymore. We generally stage it. So we'd say babies who are low risk of allergy, so they don't have eczema, they don't have a food allergy already, there's no history of allergies in the mouth. As soon as you start weaning, you want to get those foods in. So peanuts, eggs, fish, dairy, sesame, all those big allergens. Children who are higher risk of food allergy, so those would be children who are considered who have moderate to severe eczema. And eczema is a massive risk factor for food allergy. I really want to point out. If you're struggling with eczema, make sure you get on top of it and make sure you seek some advice if you need to. And or children with a food allergy already, so like our cat allergy babies would be considered at an elevated risk of food allergy and actually they're the group who are probably going to benefit most from really cracking those allergens in early during weaning and in some circumstances you know i will see again specialist clinic individualized advice where we recommend children start weaning a little bit earlier so we can try and modify that risk so we would interesting really early so we try to prevent yeah i always say to parents the way to remember it is if we don't introduce an allergen, we are leaving the door open for allergy. As soon as we start giving it to a child and they're having it regularly and it's going into their gut and their immune system knows it's safe, yeah. we're closing that door. Yeah. Telling the body this is something that's safe, they don't need to overreact to it, this is something that they can include. So, yeah, eczema risk, number one, to don't delay introduction of allergens during weaning. Great advice. Yeah. And you've obviously like highlighted the difference between the people who are at lower risk and higher risk and what to do there. If you are concerned, you know, you've got big risks of allergies in your family, talk with your GP. Maybe, maybe they might advise introducing allergen closer to a service who could support if there was an allergic reaction. Yeah. Um, and I, d- I just think it's really interesting. I know we're going to, we're running out of time, but also like just that difference, I think it's important to explain, you know, if you've got the eczema, that yeah. might uh, provide a different exposure through the skin versus yeah. through eating it orally. And I think when you eat it orally, you know, you're, you're letting your body know that it's just food. It's, <laughs> you're telling it it's okay rather than leaving it, as you said. Yeah. We were saying the skin allergies begin and, and lots of research has driven us that way. I mean, it's not the only way children can sensitize to allergens, but the, the risk factor is there because we kind of forget that the skin is a massive organ. It's there to protect us from nasties getting into our body. So that, that skin barrier is compromised with eczema. And then if food proteins are reaching the skin barrier, so let's say peanut proteins or egg proteins that are flying around in the sky and on surfaces and on our hands, what the body does is go assumes it is not meant to be there mm-hmm. but that's that's an invader we don't want that and it generates basically it gets it wrong and it generates the immune system generates a response to those food allergens right. at a time when it's not yet being consumed mm-hmm. well thank you so much for answering our questions on that um and coming towards the end of the show we said that we would chat about you know food refusal and fussy eating and if children are experiencing that what kind of language can we use to chat with them and still build a positive relationship with food for them? Sure. So 
just to say, if you're a parent of a fussy eater out there, it will be you and many, many hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of it's very very common phenomenon which really does peak in the toddler years which is often developmentally related so it's um drive for autonomy i want to control my world those terrific two who want to do everything um but alongside developmental changes like food neophobia so naturally children are more wary and cautious of foods massive throwback to us being in caves when toddlers could go around picking funny berries off bushes which probably wouldn't end well so it's still now to this day, even though we don't have that risk anymore, really. Although we kind of do, but we don't. I didn't know that that's where it came from. Yeah, it's, it's massive, massive throwback. It's, it's be fit, you know, because I'm more independent, I'm walking, I'm on my feet, I'm I'm my own person. Um, and we don't want them eating the funny berries off the bushes because that's quite fatal in some circumstances. So children are more aware and wary of those foods. My biggest tip, I'm conscious of time, my biggest tip to parents around language and, and, and sort of advice in general is the pressure needs to be off. Because what we try and do as adults when we see children's diets changing, when we see them dropping foods, refusing foods or eating less in the way of foods, is we try and fix it. Mm. So we go, we'll give you five more minutes, one more bite, one more bite. Or we waggle the broccoli in front of them. Yeah. Or we say, it's delicious, mummy loves it, all of those things. And pressure is a massive, massive, massive appetite suppressant. Mm. Do it. So I talk a lot about taking the pressure off mealtimes, making sure mealtimes are a place that children enjoy, taking labels off food. There isn't good food, bad food, eat it, it's good for you. You know, all food can be good for children in lots of different ways. No bribing. If you have it, you can have the ice cream, the sticker, anything like that. And instead go with making sure they're having exposure to that food, making sure you're eating those foods in front of them and they see an opportunity for role modelling and just letting them explore. Kids will touch, they will smell, they will explore food in lots of other ways that can seem quite annoying as an adult when they're squishing it through their hands and feeding it to the dog for the 50th time. (laughs) It's all part of learning and eating is a learning experience. So off and, and please be reassured even when children's range of food decreases which is very common during toddler years most children can still get all the nutrients they need Great. you know i think there's a pressure again for these beautiful yeah. plates of food that they eat up and finish and they, they don't need they don't need that a lot of the time I think that's such a great point to have pointed out um I remember I had a vague memory from one of my uni lectures about when children have um neophobia around food um that it took maybe exposure of more than 10 times of the same food to like overcome it and as a parent that must be very difficult to keep on persevering when they're throwing it around refusing it yeah Yeah. Um, I mean is a minimum i would say i see some some foods are going to be so difficult for some children they take over 100 exposures wow and I, everybody listening can think of a food they might have only just added to their repertoire maybe in the last three years so yeah, it's taking mine coriander yeah so mine was mushrooms so <laughs> it's taking you that long it's taking you that long so you know some foods are going to be easier those predictable foods the good old beige bland and tanned foods that are the same every time much easier from a sensory point that kind of planet of blueberries that's a bit of a blueberry lottery are they going to be hard soft sweet tangy mm. there's a little moldy one much harder work they're much the ones harder. I'm so, so good yeah. so Trust. i guess and you just got to keep on persevering and keep on looking after them but there is that point that you have where parents might feel guilty 
And, yes. you know, what advice would you give for that? Because they don't need to. It's a natural thing that children are going yeah. through. I think the key thing to take the guilt off is that it isn't your fault. Like, it's not, a, I'm sick yes. of hearing the, about it being a parent's fault that a child is a fussy eater. Inherently, isn't a parent's fault, especially if it's heavily related to a child's development, or it could be because a child's had lots of negative or poor early experiences with food. But they are much more wary than their little mate who also goes to play, who eats And, you know, children are an entity that are complex and we have to work with them, not against them and not ahead of them. Taking guilt off, children don't need hundreds of foods in their repertoire to grow beautifully and get all the nutrients they need. Think about your food parenting, definitely. Think about what is the response to my child's food refusal. Am I doing behaviours that might be making it worse or exacerbating things? Again, lots of parents do that. I can tell you not to offer bribes or rewards. I've spoken to hundreds of parents over the years who adopt that because you're trying to make it better. And I think the key phrase I always sit with lots of parents with is please use meal times as an opportunity for your child to eat, not what they eat, how much they eat, and that they should try something new. Oh, that's that's great advice. And a really nice way, I guess, to kind of sum up the show, seeing meal times as an opportunity and an opportunity to explore. I love that. Um, So we're right at the end here, Lucy. Um, But I do want to go through very, very quickly those fact and myth statements that we promised at the beginning. Uh, So if everyone can cast their minds back to them. um, And if you could give us maybe a quick fact or myth answer, um, because I think we've covered off of them quite well. We have, we have, yeah. I will, I'll be punchy. <laughs> Amazing. So the first one I said was that you should introduce one new food every three days during weaning. So this is largely false. There is no need to go so cautiously through weaning. Weaning is about getting as much variety in as possible. The only food you want to be more cautious with and introduce more slowly is probably allergens. So those food allergens. Great, thank you. The next one, kind of following on from that, is food allergens like peanuts should be introduced during weaning. Yes, they absolutely should. Just make sure they're So no whole nuts for kids. Butter, but yeah, yeah definitely them in. Exactly. Early. And as you said earlier, consider if they're a high risk or a low risk, and there might be some separate considerations based on them. Yes. The next one was, when it comes to their nutrition, children are just like little adults. They are not. They have very unique needs, depending on how old they are and what's going on with their growth and development. So I suppose that's a no, false Fourth one, it is okay if a child sometimes refuses food at mealtimes. It does not make you a failure. 100% yes. Please expect your child to refuse foods at mealtimes. And then fifth and finally, food is so much more than just nutrition. Absolutely categorically, yes, true. Thank it you is. so much, Lucy, for joining me today. You can find Lucy at the Children's at Children's Dietitian on Instagram. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. And that's 